you gonna do? Better run for shelter cause it's all about the you. Hey, it's Manny Navarro from The Athletic. Back for another edition of the Wide Right Podcast. As you can see, Sam Khan, my colleague at The Athletic, is with me. Sam, uh, last year around this time, you and I were hanging out in your hometown uh, over there in Houston because the Canes were playing at Texas A&M. This year, Aggie's coming back, so we're not hanging out. I know. I know. There's too many games this weekend. There's <laughs> Texas is playing at Alabama. A&M is at Miami. You got Texas Tech and Oregon. You got SMU and Oklahoma, Baylor and Utah. There's like 25 really good games. So instead of traveling and picking one of them and missing a bunch of the others, I'm going to be at home this weekend kind of watching every single one of them. Smart approach, Sam, for sure. Uh, I know um, you're going to have some people coming over, doing a little construction in the house. We're going to try to knock this out <laughs> before the banging begins. In the house. So I, I, I appreciate you doing this. A&M comes in, uh, I think, a four-point favorite last time I looked at the line. They had a really good debut, I thought, against New Mexico. 52 to 10, the Bobby Petrino era, as we'll call it, right? Because he's he's calling the shots now in office. I think Jimbo tried to make that as abundantly clear as possible. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch the game back on replay because you do cover the entire state of Texas for us. But what what were your sort of takeaways from that debut with Petrino, with Jimbo? Because that's such a big offseason focus for the Aggies. Yeah, I was really impressed because, and, and before we go further, yes, it is only New Mexico. It's it's a team that <laughs> is, is not going to be confused with Alabama or in any SEC power. But even so, Texas A&M has not looked that good against even a lower-end group of five team or even an FCS team in the last year plus. Last year, they played Sam Houston, which is an FCS team. They only... Uh, scored 31, and they didn't look great, especially up front. They scored 20 against UMass in the game with terrible weather. And, of course, we all remember that they lost to Appalachian State 17-14 at home. So even though, even against competition that they were much more talented than, they struggled mightily. Against New Mexico, they looked clean. They looked efficient. They looked explosive. They looked like everything they should look like when you consider how much offensive talent they have. The receiver room looks terrific with Noah Thomas and Evan Stewart and Aya Smith. Connor Wegman, the sophomore quarterback, looks like he's ready for a breakout year. And that offense looked efficient. They were fast. The tempo was a little bit quicker. They used a lot wider variety of personnel packages than they have in the Jimbo Fisher era, at least in terms of offensive play calling. And I just thought overall it was a really efficient performance that if you're an AM fan, you've got to be encouraged because it looks a lot cleaner and a lot better than what we saw last season, which was quite frankly a mess. Yeah, I think it was the same story for Miami, if, if we're being honest. I mean, they didn't have necessarily great competition. Miami of Ohio was a 6-7 and seven team last year, but they were an older team, and they're a pretty good Mac school that I guess is expected to compete uh, for the Mac championship this year. I think they were picked second in the preseason in their division. So, uh, very, you know, very veteran laden team and Miami comes out and runs for 250 yards, which is exactly what Mario Cristobal wants to do. He wants to pound the rock. Uh, even though he brought in a new offensive coordinator himself, uh, your buddy over there who was who at Houston, Shannon Dawson um, and for the air raid. But in reality, we didn't really see Tyler Van Dyke fling the ball around a whole lot. So to me, I was kind of impressed that they ran the ball behind their brand new offensive line and, and had a lot of success. Um, we heard about Connor Wegman. I looked at some of the numbers for AM. They didn't run the ball particularly dominant, but they didn't have to because they were flinging it everywhere. Tell me about the backfield because it, it looks like a committee approach. Even though Ruben Owens got to start and you got Le'Veon Moss, who who's kind of coming back as a veteran, um, you, you have – it seemed like a committee approach. Is that going to be the same thing as, like Miami, you think? 
I think they're trying to feel out how this is going to work because they don't have the dominant dominant back that they've had the last couple of years. They had Isaiah Spiller, uh, 2019, 2020, 21, and then the last couple of years, Devon A-Chain. Uh, and both of these guys are in the NFL now. Th- those have been really the guys that have carried the load and, and, and at what point they were a really dynamic duo between the two of them. And now I think it's feeling out who amongst these guys is going to be the lead back. You've got Amari Daniels back. You've got Le'Veon Moss, who was a top 100 recruit in the 2022 class. And you got Ruben Owens, the five-star who you just mentioned. So between those three guys, I think you're going to see uh, a mix of those guys getting rotated until someone can kind of really emerge as the guy. I think Daniels was the most efficient of the group. I think he ended up averaging like seven yards a rush. Uh, and then you got David Bailey also, who I think could be, he's a bigger back, could be a short yardage type. So I think you're going to see a mix of guys in there. And I think Petrino's going to end up using and, and rotating a lot of them, but they've got legitimate talent. All, all those guys, Daniels, Moss and Owens, the top three guys, they're all former blue chip recruits. They're all four-star, five-star guys. So the talent is there. I think it's just a matter of figuring out a, who's going to be productive, who, who can get in a rhythm, who can get a hot hand and also who can pass protect. Jimbo, I listened to his press conference uh, on Monday, and I guess a big emphasis, too, is, hey, this is a much older sort of offensive line compared to what they were a year ago when they they basically trotted out a bunch of young dudes that were inexperienced. Um, big improvement in your mind is in terms of their, their talent and experience on the offensive line? Yeah, the experience is obviously a huge deal. Uh, and, and the depth of that on that front is getting better and better. They They've had a lot of young guys, you know, step into roles last year, and a lot of those guys are back. And having that experience is going to be huge for them. I think the biggest key for them this year is going to be staying healthy. That was what really hit them in a bad way last year is they had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. And now if you can keep guys healthy and you can keep them together and develop a chemistry, then I think you have a real chance uh, to to be solid up front. But but they do have a lot of experience there uh, across the, the offensive line. They did start a true freshman, though, at tackle, Chase Pasantis, who – uh, Jimbo Fisher has been really impressed and really has praised greatly throughout the offseason. Uh, Basantis is a guy who was a, a top flight recruit in the 2023 class. They really like him, and he was able to get some play uh, on, on Saturday in, in the opener. So I think uh, they, they think he could be a potential star, but otherwise they do have a lot of experience to draw on up front. Yeah, and it, just like Miami with Francis Mauigoa, they got their five-star right tackle starting. So both teams have uh, a true freshman in there kind of earning their stripes. And, and obviously, they'll be challenged in this game on Saturday. Before we get to the defensive line uh, for AM and and their dominant front, really, in my mind, I mean, they're, they're the fourth most talented team in the country in the, in the 247 sport uh, talent composite. And a lot of it is because of just the, the dudes that they've got in their defensive front. Before we get to that, um, Miami had 28 guys transfer out last season. Uh, three guys who started double-digit games. Um, Ja'Kai Clark, John Campbell, Daryl Jackson. The only one that really stung for Miami was Jackson because I don't know that they really got a dude up front in, at defensive tackle. I saw Texas A&M lost 31 guys to the portal, brought in 15 transfers, obviously had their, their signing class. In your mind, were there any big losses to the transfer portal or, or, or any spots where the Aggies really didn't replace them? No, I think they did a good job of replacing the key losses at key positions. I think the the biggest spot that, that were concerns were linebacker and cornerback. Uh, they, they lost a lot of corners, both in the portal and some to the draft as well. And they lost uh, they lost a linebacker, Andre Smith, who ended up going to 
Georgia Tech. And th- those were, I think, the Andre White. I'm sorry, not Andre Smith. Uh, th- those were the ones that I think were of most concern. But they they did hit the portal to go grab some replacements at, at those positions. And Josh DeBerry at corner, I think, from Boston College, had a really strong debut for uh, for Texas A&M. And, and he's a versatile guy. He can play corner. He can play nickel. They can do a lot with him. He was a four-year player at Boston College, so he's got a ton of experience and a ton of snaps. Uh, J.D. Davis, who came from Jackson State, uh, that that's a guy that I think at linebacker that, that they they like so far and that that has some potential to really step in there. And they, they've also got some young linebackers who I think are ready to step in the way. Uh, they did lose a lot of guys in the portal. I think at the end of the day, I think scholarship wise, I think 25, 27 in, in the range of there from terms of scholarship losses in the portal. But the depth, obviously, is something you want to keep an eye on throughout the year. But overall, I think the, the guys that were the most talented losses they got that were the guys that were freshmen in the 2022 class, guys like Denver Harris, who went to LSU, or Chris Marshall, the receiver, went to Ole Miss, who's not there anymore. And the thing about that is Anthony Lucas, another one who went to USC, those guys, that I, those three guys I just mentioned were amongst the guys who were suspended last year. So while it, the, losing their talent is, is impactful, at the same time, those guys weren't seeing the field the whole time last year anyway because they had gotten into discipline issues, gotten into trouble. And I think there is a sense that it's it, maybe maybe in Jimbo Fisher's mind, maybe it's a little bit of addition by subtraction because uh, you're getting out some guys who who weren't necessarily staying in line with what they, they wanted. I think in Miami's case, a lot of it was guys that Mario just didn't want in the system like anymore. You know, I think outside of Daryl Jackson, that's the only one I think they really were like, man, it sucks. This kid's gone. Right. Because he's a big D tackle for him, started 12 games. So it, it, interesting way to sort of look at it, because I think as fans, you know, you kind of look at the depth chart or or you look at the rosters and you don't really know what kind of turnover is affected, you know, in terms of when you lose players and when you pick them up. Um who would you say of all the transfers that they got is is maybe the most impactful? The, a guy that you look at and you say, yeah, he's really going to help them for for the Aggies. Yeah, so far I think DeBerry's the guy. Just just because I, he, they, he's going to bring the kind of versatility to that secondary that that Antonio Johnson did. Antonio Johnson was such a huge piece of that secondary uh, for them in the recent years, and and he's gone on to the NFL. I think having him is, is going to be huge. Uh, and I think he's going to be a real, real asset for them in in that secondary, and and just just helping to address some of the depth issues there. I think I think that's the guy to me who looked and jumped off the page right away in that first game, and I think uh, he's got a potential to be a real impact player for them this year. We're going to get to defense in a minute, I promise. Uh, big loss in terms of injuries in camp. Obviously, Donovan Green was a big one for them. Um, how did how do they look at the tight end position, the receiver position in general? I know they've got some aliens at the wide receiver position, but, <laughs> but if you were going to describe it to Miami fans, how big a loss was Donovan Green, or, or can they kind of survive that easily? Yeah, it, it is a big loss because Donovan's a really talented guy. I mean, he he's he was a big-time recruit for a reason, and, and they loved he, his freshman year. You know, He really showed flashes of what he could be. On the flip side, Jimbo Fisher, that's one position that he's recruited really heavily is tight ends. Uh, Jake Johnson, the brother of Max Johnson, who was a four-star in the 2022 class, is there. Uh, Theo Olmstrom, the Swede, uh, Swedish kid, he he was a four-star recruit in the 2022 class. So both of those guys, I think, provide you some depth. They've got a veteran in Max Wright, who's a, a fifth-year senior. Max was a converted defensive end, but he's been playing tight end for quite a while. So they've got a lot of depth at tight end. They've even got some more guys beyond that on scholarship. That's a position that are really well stocked. So you don't want to lose 
the game-breaking ability and versatility of a guy like Donovan Green, uh, that that was definitely a blow for them. But in terms of depth and and just players who, who have some high ceilings, they do have other options there at tight end. Is it me? I mean, look, I know they have some talent at the receiver position. I think they went seven deep against New Mexico. Um, but w- when you look at the guy who I guess is going to pose the most problems, it's probably Noah Thomas because of his size, right? Yeah, he's got the ability to go up and get it. He's got the ability to to high point, and he's got the the large catch radius. I think Noah is going to give uh, defensive backs a lot of problems. But I think the best the best guy out of that group, or the guy that excites me the most, and if I'm a defender, probably gives me the most headaches is is Evan Stewart. Evan's just he's just got pure natural ability. He's got the speed. He he can he can make it happen after the catch. Uh, Evan, Evan's a guy that I think you're going to have to keep an eye on at all times, but yeah, Noah in the red zone. I mean, we showed it last week, three touchdowns. Noah was going to be an issue in the red zone. And I think, uh, he, he's, he's a guy who played some last year, didn't get as much run. And now you look like, look at, he's going to have like a major role this season. How would you describe, let's get to defense now and these aliens that they've got up front on that defensive line, the, the Levius Overton's McKinley Jackson, Shamar Turner, Shamar Stewart. I mean, they, there's Walter Nolan. Uh, it's, it seems like, uh, there's a five-star haven, uh, for talent. Um, how would you describe the defensive front of the Aggies to a fan who hasn't watched them before? <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of talent. They, they're big, they're strong, they're quick, uh, they're young. Uh, but, but I think th- they took a lot of lumps last year. And th- that's one thing I, th- that's got really key for this A&M team this year is they've got to get better. Uh, in run defense and and they've got to be better in at pressing the passer and, and those are two things that I think AM's defensive front was so good and so productive in the Mike Elko era before he went on to Duke and as he when he took that job that pretty much the entire defensive line either graduated or went to the draft uh so last year was a year of just taking your lumps and and, and learning through experience guys stepping into new roles uh, there are there are some veterans. McKinley Jackson stands out as a defensive tackle. McKinley's a a guy who looks like a future pro, and I think some of these other uh, younger guys are going to be future pros as well. But it's just getting the experience, and but it's it's the, few programs have recruited the defensive line in recent years as well as Texas A and M. They continue to get top one hundred guys. They continue to get five star guys. Uh, DJ Hicks in the twenty twenty three class was a five star guy. They got. And even in the 2024 class, they're doing a terrific job of, of adding more defensive line talent. So uh, this is a position that, that Elijah Robinson, the defensive line coach, has done a terrific job with. And uh, I think you're going to see them grow as the year goes on. It's pretty much looks like a 3-3-5 because you got one of the, I guess, would-be linebackers or edge rushers sort of standing up, I guess, some of the, some of the times on this defense. Um, the linebackers, though, are really, really good. And Mario Cristobal was sort of uh, – you know, praising that as well, Shannon um, Dawson for the Hurricanes, the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, he talked about uh, Edrin Cooper quite a bit. Uh, Edrin, I guess, had a really good performance in week one. Uh, what about the linebackers for AM? Yeah, Coop had three tackles for loss, eight tackles overall. He, he's he's a veteran, and he's been in this defense for a while now. Uh, Edge is a guy that can run and hit. Uh, the, his acceleration is closing speed is terrific and, and he packs a punch when he gets to a guy uh and, and that that's going to give that defense a lot of juice and and has been a big big part of that uh as i mentioned they they had to fill out some other spots you know jd davis the transfer i mentioned from jackson state got in the action and tory and york a true freshman who they got in that 2023 class uh he's an in-state guy but 
the way Jimbo Fisher talks about how he's able to master the calls and be able to get guys in the right spots and and really learn and soak up the defense really quickly. York looks like a guy that's going to be a major contributor a lot sooner than I think many any of us expected. Uh, he was a guy who was a former Baylor commit who they were able to to flip late, and I think he's going to end up being a really valuable guy. They they've got some some talent there, uh, but uh, York I think brings a lot to it. But yeah, Cooper's the guy who leads that group and, and really packs a punch. And then the secondary, obviously, we already got into DeBerry and, and what a good cover corner he is. Uh, Tyreek uh, Chappelle, I guess, starts opposite him at the other corner spot. And then you got three safeties, essentially. Uh, Damani Richardson, Bryce Anderson, uh, and Jordan Gilbert, who started this last game. How does this secondary, in your mind, compare to the one that, that Miami faced last year? Is it better? Uh, is it the same? What What's sort of your take on it? There's certainly some transition because, like I said, you know, you, you, Jalen Jones has gone to the NFL. Antonio Johnson has gone to the NFL. So you're having to replace those guys. But DeBerry, I think, brings you a real presence. And then you got Bryce Anderson, who was a freshman in, in last year and was part of that 2022 class. Bryce is another guy, super intelligent, uh, really finds himself around the ball pretty frequently. I think he's a guy uh, – he was a two-way star in high school, but super versatile on defense, and I think – uh, he's a guy who's got a bright future at AM. Uh, and then you've got Jardon Gilbert, you mentioned, who's really good. And then Damani Richardson's a leader. Damani's Damani's a uh he's using his extra year and has really been a, a mainstay for that defense, one of the leaders on this team, not just on this defense. Uh he's another guy who finds himself around the ball and knows where he's supposed to be uh and, and stays disciplined and, and really is the guy who leads that group. Uh Chappelle's superbly talented, uh, has played a lot of ball already at AM. Uh, so they've got a lot of talent back there. I, I don't know that they're uh, – it's going to take some time, for, I think, for them to get as as cohesive as they were with with Johnson and Jones who when, when they were in there. But uh, but I think the talent level and the potential is there for them to really get to play a high, at a high level. What do you think Miami has to do to beat them? What's your sort of – if they're going to be successful against A&M, this A&M team? And I know it's it's pretty much feels like a new roster, right, compared to the one that went five and seven. Wegman looks sort of fit in. Uh, the, uh, he's got really good receivers. He, like you said, talented running backs, good offensive line. Uh, how does Miami win this game in your mind? I think you got to grind it out. I think, I think, and you know, you, you know, it, 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 Mario wants a really strong offensive line. He wants a, a team that could control the line of scrimmage. And I think that that's going to be important. And they're going to want to be able to do that and, and grind it out. Don't, don't let this turn into a, a track meet with, with, with you know, Bobby Petrino and, and Connor Wegman throwing the ball all over the yard. You know, they're going to try – if you can keep this thing low scoring and get these guys frustrated because this is an A&M team that's, that's still fairly young at a lot of key spots. They're still young at receivers, talented as they are. They're still young at quarterback. Uh, and, you know, there's still some key spots on defense that they're still young a little bit as well. I think if you can – I think you, you're going to want to try to make this kind of somewhat similar to what it was last year. I don't know that you want it to be quite as ugly as it was last year where you're talking like a 17-14 game or 17-9 is what it was. Uh, you you want to be able to generate some more offensively, but make a And M scratch and claw for this. Make make them fight for it. Make them go through some adversity, uh, because I think that that's going to be key if you're Miami because they've got the talent. There's no doubt about it. I think Mario's done a terrific job putting that roster together and and shuffling and 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 reloading that roster with with the kind of talent that I think he feels like fits what he does. But I think style of play is important here, and I think. Uh, being physical, grinding out, making A&M grind it out, I think is going to be key for them. I was at the FSU uh, LSU game and saw Florida State just, I mean, that that second half, 
Uh, they were so impressive. And I know a lot of people were picking the Tigers to go back to the SEC championship game. Is this A&M team in your mind uh, good enough to get to the SEC title game? The talent is good enough for sure. I think the question is is whether they can stay healthy and whether they can whether they can win those big games that they need to win. I think last year, even though they went five and seven last season, when you saw how they played against LSU at the end of the year, it, it looked like wow, this is what this team could be. Look how good they were offensively. Look how how much they got after defensively. Uh, look how much energy and juice they played with. It was looked like a totally different team than what you saw during that six-game losing streak where they looked lost. There was miscommunication. They were inefficient offensively. When you And you mentioned it. This is a top-five roster in terms of talent nationally. So the talent is there to, to do that. The question is, are they going to stay healthy? Are they going to stay disciplined? Uh, you know, They had some locker room issues last year, which I alluded to earlier. They've got to stay away from that. And also, it's just, I think, that offense, to me, to me, the biggest key is, can this offense be consistent? Because if the offense can play at a top 30 level nationally, that's a huge improvement for AM. And And I think, honestly, I think that that offense has much more potential than even that. But if you, if you can just get into that top 30, top 25 nationally as an offense, then you're going to be hard to beat. Uh, defensively, like I said, they got to get better at stopping the run. But I do think, just in terms of pure talent, if they could stay disciplined, stay healthy, and keep everything organized, you know, coaching staff, everything's delegated. Everybody, Bobby Petrino's left to do his thing, which so far it seems like that. Jimbo, Jimbo didn't have his large stack of papers that he we're used to seeing them happen on the sideline when he calls plays. He was a little bit, it was a little bit different. It was a little bit interesting to watch him uh kind of be the overseer. And 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 he's not, it's not that he's not involved, he's still very involved, but he's learning to take a little bit of a step back and let his guys do what they do. And I think if, if they can do all those things, do they have the potential to win the SEC West? Yeah, I do think they do. Uh, it's obviously harder, easier said than done because it's Alabama, you know, obviously LSU took that loss, but you got Alabama in this, in this conference, in this division, and they're, they're still superbly talented. Uh, but A&M's got that potential in my opinion. I don't think there's any doubt about it. It's just, it's just a matter of doing it, staying disciplined and, and catching a little bit of luck yeah last year again we, we started with me being out there in houston last year this time hanging out with you we enjoyed a, a good night of wings uh and then and then drove together to the stadium uh for people who've never been out to college station it's quite a haul uh to get mm -hmm. there from houston it's like an hour and a half almost two hour drive at least it, it felt that long to me anyway from what i remember and uh but the place was packed there was so much excitement for that game uh it was loud Miami's having trouble selling tickets for this game. And that's because tickets are, quote unquote, pricey for the Hurricanes fans. Right now, they're trying to do a buy one, get one, where they're sort of attaching the text, the uh, Georgia Tech game, the, the ACC opener. Um, tickets are selling for 310 in the club section, 205 in the lower end zone, um, 125 in the upper bowl. So I was curious. I'm like, Texas AM never really seems to have a problem. Fans drive long distances to get there. And I'm looking, I'm like, let's see how much the Alabama tickets are going for right now. I looked on Ticketmaster. You got some in the lower bowl going for three grand or over a grand. <laughs> you got some in the 400 section going for 200 bucks. That's the 400 section. In Miami, you can get them for two or five in the lower end zone, and you get two games. Uh, yeah. Are you stunned by this, Sam? I mean, and, and, <laughs> and, and I guess um, what, what's your take on, on why A&M fans are uh, – doesn't matter. They seem to spend whatever it takes to go to those big games. 
Yeah, I, I think it's it's always been that way at AM. The 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 spirit of the twelfth man uh, and the identity that the fans have with this program that has been long lasting and has been ever present throughout their history. And, and that's what's done me. You mentioned the Miami game last year and how packed it was and how rabid it was. That was six days after they seven days after they lost to App State. Yeah. I mean, the season had just crumbled essentially, and they still packed it out and sold out Kyle Field. I, and I've never seen anything like it uh, to to see a program. And that's not to say that there's never a time that they don't show when they play an FCS opponent or they play a, a group of five opponents. Certainly when the weather was really bad last year against UMass, you know, you could, there was a lot of seats you could see that were unfilled, but for the most part, this family sticks by A&M football and they show up and they show out and they're allowed and they impact the game. And I, you've heard Nick Saban at, at Alabama say it, uh, when he's come here in the past, that he he wishes the, he would like Alabama's atmosphere to to be similar, more similar to that of Kyle Field. Uh, it, it's just it's a very it's a community thing. The school keeps growing. I think their enrollment is over seventy thousand students now, and so they've sold I think more than sixty thousand season tickets. Plus, they've got thirty thousand plus student tickets because they have right. the largest student section in the country. So, so season tickets I think they've sold more than ninety thousand already for the year. So that those are that's already locked up, and so there's there's not very many single game tickets to go around uh, for Kyle Field. So uh, it's it's just I think there's just a certain spirit, there's a belief and, and a loyalty there that I think you don't find in a lot of places. And uh, my hats off to AM and their fans. They 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 do a great job filling that stadium and making it feel like a really big time college atmosphere. Yeah, Miami fans will tell you there's just too much to do on South Beach. They want to go have fun. But, <laughs> I mean, when you look at the prices, I mean, I know they're complaining. They're saying, hey, it's too much. But in the end, I think there'd probably be a lot of AM fans happy to spend $300 and sit in the lower bowl for a Power 5 opponent, right? I mean, it seems like... Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> no, I, no I, question. I, I, and, and somehow they come up with the money. I guess they got a lot of credit cards maxed out or something. Who knows? <laughs> Sam, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Last one here. Uh, prediction for the game. Yeah, I'm going to take A&M just because I do think uh, offensively, I think the, the 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 clean performance that they put together, I think as organized as they look and as many options as they have, um, I think I think they're in good shape. And uh, it's you know the atmosphere is going to be interesting because, like you said, it's it's not going to be a big time atmosphere. How does that play? How does that play for a young team? Is it do they lack juice at the start, or or are they going to be able to jump on them and? and just kind of stay on them uh, from start to finish. I, I don't know. That'll be interesting to see. So I'm curious to see how they react to that. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be a, a close game. I think that Miami's talent is still there. But uh, but I think AM is going to end up pulling this one out. I'm with you. I picked AM in the preseason, and, and the fact they came out and looked so good offensively, I think, was a huge lift. So I, I think they'll win this game probably between 7 to 10 points, somewhere in that range. Uh, and it'll be a game in the fourth quarter, but I just don't know that Miami – defensively is ready to face some of those receivers that AM has. Uh, Miami of Ohio really didn't have those kind of guys, and, and I was worried about the secondary coming in. So we'll see. We'll see how it pans out. Sam, thanks for coming on. Thanks for doing this with me. That's it for this week's episode of Wide Right. We'll be back next week. Mm -hmm.